0: Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Breffney Early and you are listening to A Current Affair here on the podcast. Now normally we put this show out on a Saturday but this week with the general election there is a moratorium on political content going out tomorrow and Saturday. So it's going out on Thursday the 6th, two days before the election. We had a feature last week where nine of the 19 candidates were interviewed by me as part of the show so you could get a little bit of a feel for the person themselves, who they are, where they come from, what their background is, and what they hope to do should you entrust them with their vote and they receive a seat at the end of the election count over the weekend. Now, of the remaining 10, six more made themselves available this week to talk to me about what it is that makes them tick and why they are seeking your vote in the general election on Saturday. Afternoon or morning, whenever you feel like voting, it's a unique day. It's it's a Saturday election, first one in over hundred years, which is a huge, huge moment to to consider in terms of our status as a republic. It makes so much more sense to have it on a Saturday. But all that being said, uh, enough about me and about my thoughts on the election. Let's hear from the people you really want to hear from today. We have six other candidates today. We'll hear from them in alphabetical order, as we did last week, and they are Declan Bree. James Conway, Mark McSharry, Bernie O'Hara, Thomas Walsh and Sean Wynn. You'll hear from each of those six candidates today to bring it up to a total of 15 of the 19 candidates who made themselves available for a conversation with you, the Leitrim audience, and Leitrim voters, more importantly. This, of course, is the third programme in our election coverage having focused on the constituency as a whole with Pascal Mooney just before the closing date for registrations. Last week we took a look at nine candidates, today we add six more to that list. We will of course have a summary of the whole thing on next week's show, which will go out on Saturday week on the 15th of February. In terms of today's show, we're just going to get straight into it, and we're going to let you hear from each of the candidates about who they are, why they want your vote, and what they'll do should they be elected to Doll Aaron for the 33rd Doll on Saturday. The one thing I will say to you is go out and vote, exercise your right to it, have your say in terms of how the country is run over the next four or five years. Anyway, let's get on with the interviews. Now, first, alphabetically on the list on Saturday's ballot paper in the Sligo Leitrim general election constituency is Councillor Declan Bree, a socialist, independent candidate who's running, not for the first time. Declan, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, Bethany. You're also obviously a former TD yourself. Back in the early 90s, you served in the the Dick Spring government uh, as a TD for Labour. Now you've gone back out on your own as an independent TD. Tell us a bit about who who you are and how you've got to this point.
1: Well, I've uh, been active politically all my life uh, since I... I joined the the Connolly Youth Movement uh, as a 16-year-old. I uh, went on to become actually national chairman of the Connolly Youth Movement and served on its executive for quite a number of years. Um, I'm a member of Sligo County Council. I'm a former coherlock of the council, and I also had the privilege of serving on Sligo Corporation and had the privilege of uh, being elected mayor of Sligo back in 2004. I am an independent candidate, as you say, but I, I, I'm quite different than the other independent candidates uh, uh, because, you know, in recent years, I, I played a, a leading part in the campaign against the household charges and property tax and then the campaign against water charges. I was also a leading activist in the marriage equality campaign and in the repeal campaign. And I, I'm not sure where the other independent candidates stood on, on these significant and important issues, but I always nailed my colours to the mast, and I'm, I'm very proud of my record. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, well, I
0: suppose the other candidates aren't here to, to defend themselves, so we might just Well, say, I'm not attacking
1: them now. No, no, I'm, I'm no, no, just no, I appreciate saying, that, uh, but we, we'll I, stick I, I'm to... I'm saying basically that people would know where Declan Bree stood on all of these important and significant issues because I played a leading role in... Uh, if people don't know where the other candidates stood on those issues, it I suppose tells you what role they played. So in, ter- um, in terms, of- but uh, it's, it's just to emphasise that, uh, that that that's where I come from. Uh, I'm, I'm chairperson of the the Grantham Labour History Committee, which is uh, established to honour the memory of the, the Leitrim socialist Jimmy Krasn, that committee is actually based in Leitrim. Bethany. Uh, I'm chairman of Sligo's Disability Consultative Committee, and I'm. Uh, chairman of the Tom Stokes branch of the, the Unite Trade Unions. And just to put it into context, then at a national level, I've, I've worked with others who share the same values as myself. Uh, people like uh, Claire Daly and John Collins, TD, and Thomas Pringle from Donegal, and uh, Catherine Connolly in Galway. It would be my hope to have the, the opportunity of working with some of them uh, should I be elected to the new Dáil.
0: In terms of the issues that you're facing at the doorstep when you're knocking on doors over the last few weeks, what have been the main things that have been coming through to you?
1: Well, one of the issues certainly that's coming across, whether it's in urban or rural uh, parts of the constituency, it's the issue of the property tax. Um, people are quite upset about it, and about the increase. And, uh, I, of course, i know it was pointed out that it's morally un- and unjust and unfair to tax a person's home. Uh, The the local property tax uh, was introduced by Fine Gael Labour and and we know that it was recently increased by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael representatives in Sligo and Leitrim. And in my opinion, it it has to be abolished. Uh, I campaigned against the imposition of the tax and following its its introduction, I gave a commitment uh, in terms of my role at Sligo County Council that I would vote at council level to reduce the tax. And I have adhered to that commitment and the public record will show that I tabled a motion at every annual budget meeting proposing that the tax be reduced by 15%. And unfortunately, on each occasion, my proposal was voted down by the, by the combined strength of the Fine Gael, uh, Independent Alliance and Fianna Fáil councillors. And at our last budget meeting, uh, the Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil councillors not only voted down my motion to reduce the tax, they actually voted to impose a 15% increase in the tax. And I'm not sure, but many of your listeners may not be aware that councillors have the power to reduce or increase the tax by 15%. Uh, no, These, of course, we have ha- the power to, to abolish it.
0: We have covered that on the show before. We had a, a fairly in-depth uh, discussion with the Local County Council about that very issue a couple yeah. of weeks back on the show when, when it was increased also here by 15%. And the discussion at the time, Declan, would have been about what services that facilitates around the county and the development that it enables. Like, these services that are provided by county councils, where would you propose the resources to fund those would come from if not for the property tax?
1: Briefly, I would make the point, and had been making the point since the property tax was imposed initially, that it has brought no additional funding to the local authorities. In fact, I recollect the first year that the tax was imposed and collected in Sligo. And I asked the then county manager what additional funding would it mean in terms of the uh, budget for Sligo County Council. And he actually responded by saying there would be no additional funding, but there would be a cost implication. Uh, The central government essentially cut the funding to local authorities and, 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 and replaced it with a uh, lesser sum from the property tax. We were hoodwinked. And uh, again, the funds were that would have normally been directed to local government were siphoned off to look after the, the, the bankers and the developers and, and, and to pay off their debts. Uh, like Even Enda Kenny, who was the Taoiseach who introduced it, uh, said it was like driving a stake through the heart of home ownership. Uh, That was a year before he imposed it. Uh, So it's just, I think it's, it's, there is no justice or fairness in taxing a person's home. You know, it's it's just, it's unacceptable. And if there is a shortage of cash in terms of our economy, well then, and I've always been saying it, it's unacceptable that that the super rich aren't obliged to pay their fair share. We do know from recent uh, statistics that there are, uh, in excess of 78,000 millionaires in Ireland. And, and a minimum 2% wealth tax on them would bring in an extra 3.5 billion euro a year, which, which could be used to fund health, and child care, local government, education, public services and social and economic investment. You know, raising income tax on, on the wealthy would, would, would help close the, the growing gap between the rich and poor and, and it can be done without harming growth. So we really want to begin to target people who have the money rather than continue to impose taxes and hardship on, on ordinary
0: working people. But haven't we found with a wealth tax that the wealthy have the resources and the expertise on hand to move their money around to avoid paying those large sums of money to the government?
1: Uh, well, certainly they have the expertise and the advisors, but we also have a problem that government, central government, that the governments of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael don't have the political will to tax the wealthy because essentially they look after the interests of the wealthy that has been the that has been the case in this country since the foundation of the state the wealthy have always been protected and it's uh, the people at the bottom who have been uh, who have uh, who have had to suffer and and in in recent years particularly in the years since the 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 crash we have seen that the that the uh, that the wealthy are, are getting even more wealthy and the disparity between uh, rich and poor is is, uh, is growing. Uh, I, I think that's generally accepted. We, we we live in one of the richest countries in the world. Uh, the 2008 bank bailout that that Fianna Fáil signed up to and Fine Gael its supported has caused untold misery and pain to thousands of families who've lost their homes their jobs and in some cases their lives you know the, the struggle to, to, to pay the, the mortgages to the to, 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 to the banks uh, our children and our grandchildren will be paying for decades for the, the greed of the bankers and the speculators and you know where else but a banana republic would, would the ordinary citizen have to pay for the gambling debts of the rich and the money is allocated to bail out the bankers as resulted in services at local government level and at health level being withdrawn or cut back. And today, uh, our citizens continue to pay the price. And, you know, I, I think we must value all our children equally. We're a small country. Uh, those who have championed the independence of Ireland, in my opinion, would, would turn in their grades at, 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 the, at the level of poverty that so many people endure, living in fear of, of, of no safe roof over their heads, uh, Fear of falling in and losing their independence or fear of the the revolving door of unemployment or poor education and hopelessness. Uh, Thousands of people we know are homeless. Thousands of children are confined to to a a desperate, miserable existence in B&Bs and hotels in Dublin. And that stunts their growth and development and prevents them from from realising their potential. It has to be said, and your Fine Gael spokesman will say it, that the economy has improved. But the reality is that the bank balances of the wealthy have improved even more so, while while ordinary people continue to pay off the debts of of the rogue uh, banks and and developers. It's it's just not fair.
0: In terms of Declan Bree going forward to the election, obviously former TD we mentioned that at the top of the of the discussion, but that was as a Labour TD, no longer associated with the Labour Party. Can you tell us a bit about why you made the decision to step away from the Labour Party? I know it's decades ago now, but. Give well, us a I of... think it was certainly a very wise
1: decision. Well, they 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 they're, they're very cosy and warm relationship with Fine Gael And uh, uh, while I was a member of the party and I was on its national executive, I grew more and more concerned that the the cozying up to Finnegall. It was, I think there was a, there, there was an element in the Labour Party who were more anxious to just get rid of Fianna Fáil from government rather than to. Uh, proclaimed socialist politics and they were they were willing to compromise and, and, and sell their souls to Fine Gael, basically in order to get into government. I wasn't w- willing to go along with that and I think it's been proven correct in the intervening period like the, the you know, it's sad to say it but the, the Labour Party has betrayed its supporters it has sold its soul. It was the party that uh, along with Fine Gael, introduced the property tax. It was the party which along with Fine Gael, impose the water charges. It is the party that, along with Fine Gael, has uh, increased the pension age. You know, it's it, it absolutely sold out its principles. Uh, I think Connolly and Larkin wouldn't recognise the Labour Party, uh, the modern Labour Party. And in saying that, uh, I have still some friends in the Labour Party, very decent people in the Labour Party, who I assume are trying to bring it back to it's traditional policies, but uh, I think they're fighting an uphill battle and uh, I respect them for, their, 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 for the battle they're fighting within the Labour Party, but I would not be optimistic about the future of the Labour Party. It, it's, I feel it's sad to say that because there, there was great potential uh, over the years. It was the party that was founded by James Connolly. Uh, but unfortunately has been taken over by people who have no interest in 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 socialism or the philosophy or ideology of the colony.
0: In terms of the general election what would represent success for you Declan?
1: What would represent success? Well obviously what would represent success would be uh, election uh, to the Dáil. Um, The number of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael TDs in the Dáil has been declining in recent years and uh, At the same time, there there has been an increase in left-leaning and other DAW deputies and I think we need to see that process continue. And on the basis of the opinion polls over the last few days, it would appear that uh, will continue. Um, I subscribe to the Right to Change principles, as does the People Before Profit uh, group and, and, and Sinn Féin and people like uh, Thomas Pringle and, 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 and John uh, Collins and so on. So we would like to see that uh, element in Leinster House growing. Uh, the reality is that for decades, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael ruled the roost with their Conservative policies. But, you know, if Ireland is seeking a genuine alternative to the big parties, it must vote for alternative candidates, candidates with a, a different philosophy who won't prop up uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. And, you know, obviously it has taken some time for this type of resistance and change to build up. But in, in politics, really, there are no short no, no shortcuts with And on this occasion, people have a choice. And if people want change, they, they must vote for change. And as I've been pointing out, there's no benefit in voting for an independent candidate who's prepared to do a deal and prop up Fine Gael or Fianna led government. Uh, four years ago people voted for change but unfortunately got more of the same and if people are now serious about change I think it's vitally important that they ask candidates who describe themselves as independent why they're prepared to support the Fine Gael or Fianna led government. If people want change they must vote for change. Uh, I have been consistent on this issue. I'm the only independent candidate in the Sligo-Leitrim constituency to declare that if I'm elected, I will not vote for or support a Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil-led government. And as you know, and as your listeners will know, in the outgoing Dáil, we witnessed uh, a number of independent TDs agreeing to become part of the Fine Gael-led government when they were offered positions of junior ministers or cabinet minister. And there's every likelihood that similar inducements will be offered to independents after this election, Uh, in the last all, it, it was my colleagues, as I mentioned earlier, independent TDs such as Joan Collins or Claire Daly, Catherine Connolly, Thomas Pringle, you know, who helped provide uh, real opposition to the establishment parties and who introduced and, and, and consistently sought the implementation of progressive legislation. And it would be my wish to be, to be part of, of such a team because now I think more than ever before we need change and we need a, a fairer, more equal Ireland that benefits all of the people rather than a, a select few.
0: Well, Declan, we've run out of time, unfortunately, but thank you very much for joining me. The very, very best of luck to you. Councillor Declan Bree, who's running as an independent on Saturday in the general election for Sligo Leitrim. Thank you very much for having a chat with me, Declan.
1: Thank you very much, Bethany.
0: Now, another candidate that's on the ballot paper on Saturday for the general election is James Conway, a 26-year-old independent candidate from Ballinacarrow, just outside Sligo Town. James, welcome to the programme.
2: Thank you very much for having
0: me. My pleasure. Thank you for making the, the journey down to Carrick and Shannon. Tell us a little bit about yourself, because I suppose you would have come to most people's prominence a couple of years ago uh, during the whole debacle over the Apple taxation issue. You had a viral video where you were very forthright about your, your views on on that. Have you always been a political kind of animal?
1: Well,
2: I've always taken an interest in politics and I've always taken an interest in the kind of backyard dealings that keeps this country running when I say running I believe there's an awful lot of corruption and cronyism in the country and uh, I pointed it out in that video and then it garnered an awful lot of attention but what I did notice from it was it came across in a way that wouldn't have uh, emphasized the type of person that I really was because I was intelligent behind it So I went back and I studied politics and a bit of philosophy and that and expanded on my vocabulary a bit. And I realized that uh, swearing in videos is really unnecessary because it's just showing a bit of lack of vocabulary, which is foolish on my part. So I went and I made a legitimate effort then to study hard and to show that I was a viable candidate to people. But I still hold uh, to what I said in the video. I did think at the time that there was uh, an emphasis being built on a knowledge economy that wasn't delivering for a lot of people. There was a lot of graduates coming out at the time who had to travel to the four corners of the globe. So I did uh, I did garner a bit of attention with it, but it pushed me forward into the public eye a little bit, uh, so much that I thought that I might be able to run a successful campaign for election at some stage.
0: So here you are, four years later, on the ticket for the, the general election. Did you think that was going to be an option, In your earlier 20s?
2: I would have always had an ambition. I would have always had an ambition to get into politics. Um, Due to my own early life circumstances, I thought it would have been a lot further away. But uh, when you look into it, and there's nothing stopping an awful lot of people from running for an election, bear the bravery to do it, and maybe um, finances. Finances I find difficult, because when you're a young man with a young family, it's hard to find extra cash for running a campaign like this but what that video did show is that uh, you can push an idea on social media and if if your ideas are good enough they will get attention, they will get people talking. And
0: you're a good clear decade younger than anybody else in the race that we've had on the show yes but a, 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 couple
2: a, of, a couple of them are referring to themselves as the youngest candidate which I find funny because I'm well well the youngest candidate
0: but in terms of that social media awareness and influence how much have you been able to use that as an advantage just basically having grown up in that era
2: it's not so much growing up in it I I, I went and I did study it a bit and um, like <laughs> I'm not going to say on air but they are there are certain times a day when you put a certain type of video out that it'll get the shares you want. Then you have to look at the demographics. You know, you could be making a video on a certain topic and you know in your heart and soul when that demographic of people will be online. So I think I have that handled pretty well. Um, I do have a look at the other candidates' social media and it... <laughs> I think it's testament that I have a handle on it that I don't pay for promotion at all and I'm still beating them quite consecutively with viewership and shares and things like that. Um, We have a couple of candidates who are pumping quite a bit of money in and they're not coming close, you know, when it comes to the social media, which I can take a little bit of pride from, as I said.
0: Now, we've all seen candidates in elections in this country... Uh, one name springs to mind, that Dalit that Dylan Haskins, who you may or may not be familiar with. He was the darling on social media, I think in the last general election, uh, and didn't come within an ass's of a seat. Do you think you can translate that social media savvy into actual votes come Poland,
2: Yeah, because I think what he did, he did have the social media very well handled, but what he didn't have was a history of working on the ground. And I'd be familiarised with an awful lot of the rural community because I've run my sheep shearing business now for six or seven years. We've always been at the marts, wheeling and dealing in cattle and sheep down through the years. We have a very large family who'd be very familiarised throughout the area. you know, And we have a good family name which means an awful lot. I just think Dylan ran a very successful social media campaign, but it's to motivate someone from tapping keys or tapping a screen to pick up the pencil. I'm certainly hoping that we've done things a little bit differently and that we've pointed out issues that really affect everybody day to day. So you can't overcomplicate things either, you know. Um, Some candidates have a tendency of putting very, very large ideas out, but Uh, when you're worried about paying the rent the next week you don't really want to hear this massive idea you want to hear about how can you change the situation that I'm currently in In terms
0: of the issues you're facing on the doors when you're knocking on doors canvassing, what's coming back to you from the electorate?
2: We have a massive issue in the West of Ireland that there is a belief that the West of Ireland is being decimated from want of investment, infrastructural and then an awful lot of people have very bright ideas to start business, businesses and that. But I don't think the government is relaying the supports that is there because there are supports, but they're not relaying as strong enough to the person who's willing to take the chance. And then you have a situation where, you know, if you start a business, I think it's uh, out of 10, is it, that eight fail usually is the number of that. You know, if you're feeding a family and you have bills going out, it's very hard to take that leap So what we have to do is we do have to put an element of safeguarding in place that we do need entrepreneurs, but we do need the safeguards behind it. But there's lots of issues coming on the doorstep. For instance, I was talking to a lady the other day, and she's a widow, and she's getting a widow's pension, but she's working as well. But because she's on the widow's pension, which she doesn't really want, but she has to take it as such, she can't get a grant for her children going to college, so there's lots of little small issues that mightn't uh, relay to a lot of people, but they're very important to the person on that doorstep. And, you know, um, in the west of Ireland, though, most of it is rural decimation and then smaller issues. Um, I know housing is an absolute crisis point, but what people here are talking about is planning. You know, there's a, in, especially in Leitrim, planning has become a massive issue because of the price of treatment plants and what most people perceive to be unnecessary cost. And forestation in Leitrim is a massive issue. It's an issue that I've looked into for the past two and a half years and I don't think most of the candidates have the handle that I have on it. So it's working well here in Leitrim when I go canvassing in Leitrim.
0: You gave an example of someone who's looking to pay rent next week. What would you like to see happen or what would you do if elected to help that person who has those bills to play literally out of this month's paycheck, which is already spent?
2: Well, you see, at the the moment, uh, this country operates on a system that allows massive tax loopholes to very large corporations. I believe if you tighten up on them loopholes, you will have a tendency that you will have more money coming in from those who are able to afford it, as opposed to those at the very bottom who are literally trying to survive. I think Sinn Féin has identified a wealth tax as such, but my argument with that would be If you are a very wealthy individual, you can get an accountant, you can get a solicitor and you can move your accounts to the Cayman Islands or the Isle of Man. So that plan may work for a year or two, but it won't work over four or five years and a decade. It will not work. So what we have to do is identify the corporations that are here, charge them a very low corporation tax rate, which we have already, but not present so many loopholes that winds up with companies paying less than 1% tax. That's A ridiculous situation to be in and we are coming to a point where we are beginning to be a little bit of a laughing stock in Europe and around the world because we have these massive corporations that are coming to our country and we have a government that seems to be thrilled over getting seven or 800 jobs and they seem to be able to trade that off for paying no tax at all, which we need to put to an end.
0: In terms of success, what would you deem success at the end of this campaign?
2: Well, election would be success. Uh, fundamentally.
0: Is, is that a realistic ambition this time around?
2: Well certainly I am um, getting approached by quite a lot of candidates looking for number twos and it's not would you ever? it's pleading. So I think uh, we have a very good opportunity. You're not the first interviewer who says is there a realistic chance. I would argue there's a very realistic chance. I would argue that in all my interviews I've talked nothing but sense. I haven't made points that people have been coming back and saying you're outright wrong whereas an awful lot of the other candidates have. You know, we had one candidate there who was a sitting candidate the other day in a debate who maintained that you could lay 15-mile of fibre-optic cable per day. I've spent the last six years working at it. Now, maybe you can nationally, but that wasn't how it was put across. I says, on a good day, you might do 300 metres, 200 metres, to get the ducting in. So we have people who are talking about issues that they, don't, they do not have any basic knowledge of. It's all right to throw out figures, but it's like the housing. Every one of them says 100,000 houses, 70,000 houses, 60,000 houses. Ask them one question, how do you intend to do it? Where do you intend the labour to come from? When the labour does come, where do you intend them to stay? These are the questions that are not being addressed. There's a problem with housing, and then we have candidates saying, we need to build houses. Perfect. How? None of them have the answers. I would argue you need to make Ireland a very, very, uh, make it look like a good place to come back to. And at the moment, we're not achieving that. Because if you're working in Australia or Canada or the Middle East at the moment, you're on very, very good money. Why would you come back to a country where you're predominantly going to end up paying between 40 and 50% of your wages in tax? You're going to come back to a country where if you want to insure a care, they won't recognize your no claims from the country you're coming from. And then if you're in Leitrim or Sligo, you're going to have great difficulty trying to build a house, ultimately, beside your mother or father's house. But these are the people we're trying to attract back. And I'm asking the government, how do you intend to do this?
0: All sounds very sensible. Well, isn't it, we've run out of time. James, thank you so much for giving us your time this evening. Um, Some food for thought, definitely. And the very best luck to you on the election on Saturday.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, one of the candidates who's running again for election is a sitting TD and front bench spokesperson f- with the Fianna Fáil, Mark McSharry, welcome to the programme.
3: Thanks very much, Brefni, and the very best of luck to you in your great work here with Leitrim Daily.
0: Well, thank you very, very much. Uh, Mark, you might, for those who don't know who you are, you might ha- have a little bit of a, a catch-up for, for us as to who Mark McSharry is, is and yeah. why you're here. Yeah,
3: sure. Uh, I'm 46 years old. Uh, I was born and, and bred in Sligo. Um, And uh, my background is in initially financial services and agricultural experts. uh, And then I moved back to Sligo and worked abroad in 2000. I worked for Sligo Chamber of Commerce and through the Chambers of Commerce movement nationally, they were entitled to nominate somebody to run for the Senate. Uh, So they nominated me. I affiliated to Fianna Fáil and was elected to the Senate in 2002 uh, and was there until 2014, or 2016 rather, and elected to the Dáil then and uh, I was initially the, the, when me all to go to the leadership the spokesman on our sport and tourism uh, and now I'm front bench spokesman on transport, tourism and sport
0: which mirrors Shane Ross for those people who Shane Ross just since last July yeah, yeah. in terms of the reason maybe where you would have been picked to run for the Senate out of the, the chamber is because the name is quite familiar to people who've been yeah, involved Yeah, I
3: mean, I suppose my familiarity with politics initially came from, I suppose, growing up in a political household. But I had very much gone a different route. I had gone a kind of business route. Uh, and it was um, somewhat coincidental that working at the Chamber of Commerce movement led uh, you know down a political route. Um, so that that's what caused it. Um, the have a competitive process in selecting who they'll nominate and it just crossed my mind that I wonder is this something that I could do and they did and the rest is history in that sense.
0: Any regrets? Did you look back oh, about go, my
3: life? The Absolutely. Life. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, looking back, no major regrets but I think all of us would do things slightly differently if we had another chance at various aspects, you know.
0: It's been an interesting period in sports, I suppose my own background will be working in professional sport as well. Um, in terms of not as an athlete, as you can probably guess, but behind the scenes, from Rio with Shane Ross to the FAI with John Delaney, it's been a turbulent time for the industry.
3: Oh, no, it has. And, I mean, it's an area that, uh, despite an incredible culture of volunteerism throughout all from grassroots and the many, many sports we have here in the Northwest and Sligo like and Leitrim and, and South Donegal and of Schumann, of course, the same as anywhere else. But the leadership of many organisations have let them down and there was a culture of flamboyance. There was a culture of um, the alakadoos at the top got looked after uh, at the expense uh, of the government's the governance and administration, uh, you know, of, of, of the sport itself and the many volunteers and young children that are participating. Sport is about the health of the nation, you know, first and foremost. It's not about medals. I mean, you know, the expert side and the professional side, it's nice to see Ireland doing well in various sports. But look, the key is, uh, is getting, you know, young boys and girls uh, into the routine of being active in sport. The health of themselves and the nation as a whole is critical to that. Uh, and we need to invest an awful lot more in it.
0: Are you happy with the direction that both those two organisations, the FAI and the OCI or Olympics? The, the Olympic
3: Council seem to have got their act together. Uh, the FAI is certainly very much a work in progress. I think that the people that have become involved um, over the last six months uh, give some ground for confidence. I mean, there are big hitters with a lot of integrity and respect in their business careers on some, one hand, and then there's other kind of key people uh, I'd like to see, in addition to the Nile Quinns and Slago's Martin Sligo Rovers, Martin Hersey and people like that who have been brought on board, uh, I think there's a role there for Paki Bonner and Brian Kerr in particular, who I'd like to see brought in too, so that um, they can be true... To football and have the core expertise of people that would have the nation's trust in Brian Kerr and Paddy Bonner and I think they'd add value. Both have been involved at a wafer level in, in coaching and other things and I think that uh, uh, they can add value. But there are other sport organisations as well that need to be looked at. I mean, in terms of the investment we get, if you look at rowing and the great success that we've had at rowing, I think we're you know ranked certainly within the top 10 in the world at various underage groups and up to the professional era. Um, you know, We give about um, Six hundred thousand to that sport per year, uh, New Zealand, for example, similarly sized country in terms of population, uh, they give three million you know uh, basketball Ireland you know they have some three hundred thousand participants in their particular sport, but yet you know sports like that are the poor relation when it comes to the focus now football is very important to our country, there was no question that it could be let fail, uh, so i 'm glad that there 's a pathway to clean it up, but we need to do a lot more. And governance and the leadership of our sporting organisations across the full spectrum of sports but also to invest uh, not just in capital infrastructure um, but in various programmes for grassroots and, 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 and young boys and girls.
0: In terms of the issues you're getting on the doorstep around Sligo what have been the, the main things that have come back to you from people?
3: Well health is huge in our part of the country obviously uh, as in all uh, and that's manifested with waiting lists, the lack of home health hours Um, the issue with um, um, the neglect of our region as a whole. I mean, we all know the ingenuity, uh, the determination, the initiative uh, of the people of you know Leitrim, Sligo, and this considerably uh, generally, uh, but it's not been backed up by uh, the level of resources that would truly allow us to perform to our potential. So instead of looking at the capacity of the northwest, you know, governments of all colours and none over the last twenty years have kind of looked to us as kind of a you know a pain in the proverbial side, thrown an odd bone of placation to keep us quiet. Rather than looking at the real potential over here, you know, we can be the counterbalance to the problematic issues in terms terms of the eastern conurbation around Dublin, congestion, the commute misery people have. We've got capacity here. Uh, We've got great people and we've got the ambition to kick on. But we do need some critical infrastructure investment to help us realise that potential.
0: In terms of the the future for for the region, what do you see as the major things that need to be brought into the region to help it develop?
3: Well, I think that the uh, you know we're here just on the N4. Uh, the N4 needs to be completed. There is some works closer to Sligo in that regard at the moment. We need a Carrigan and, and Shannon bypass and on up to connect uh, with the Longford bypass. You know, then we'll have you know you know a proper kind of two hour commutable kind of journey to Dublin that'll link us up. The other thing we need to do is to connect Knock Airport through Sligo, onto Letterkenny with a spur to Killybegs to give access to the deep water port there and also the potential that Knock gives us. Beyond that, and one of our core policies, is the establishment of a joint rural division within the IDA and Enterprise Ireland to again look at the capacity here. You know, we know the Sligos and Letterkenny's have been prioritised, and there has been some successes there. But what about Carrick and Shannon? What about Boyle? What about Shambo? What about Manor Hamilton? Uh, and other areas where there is capacity, Where cost of living could be lower, uh, and to get those organisations who, in their own right, you know, in terms of delivering for Ireland Enterprise Ireland idea, are excellent in terms of bringing in foreign direct investment and supporting uh, the 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 innovation of indigenous industry, but why aren't we looking at kind of smaller areas where that really really can play a part? So um, that's one thing. In terms of farming, um, you know, our beef export trade is vitally important, and. Um, one of the things that we haven't focused on there's been more of a focus on reducing the numbers of the herd. You know, we're all aware of our responsibilities in terms of climate change or whatever, but this is the engine room of the suckler herd of the country, which is our beef exports. The UN tell us that by 2050, we're going to have to double food production in order to feed the world. Now, I know it won't all be beef, uh, but I think we can play our role in the northwest in terms of climate change in other ways, and I don't believe we should be focusing on penalising the suckler herd, who are already struggling, uh, many at less than 10,000 per year. So we need to do more to support those.
0: After the election... There's a good chance that you could be on a front bench that might make up mm. government and a possible mm. ministerialship. Have you given much thought to that yourself?
3: Not really. I mean what we want to do is try and focus on you know, getting our manifesto, our message out there. There's 11 billion of fiscal space that have been independently indicated by the, the Fiscal Advisory Council over the next five years. So we've come up with a manifesto that's precisely 11 billion, as opposed to others. The Fine Gael one is um, obscure. We don't know how much it costs. The Sinn Féin one is 22 billion, so they're seeking to spend twice what's available. Um, so we're focusing on trying to be honest and truthful with people and say, look, this is a plan that is deliverable, that is sustainable, that is realistic. We want to get that across, maximize our return next Saturday and Sunday when the votes are cast and being counted. After that, if we're strong enough to be in a position to broker government, we want to get together with like-minded parties in the first instance uh, with our manifesto at the core to a broker for government. As for positions, um, it's certainly my intention to ensure that the needs of our area are at the cabinet table. If that means a ministry, it means a ministry, but it's not about position for me or individuals, it's about getting our message to there, and that'll be a matter for the leadership in terms of who's what minister after the fact.
0: Mijom said that he's not interested in going into government with Sinn Féin. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that based on the, the latest opinion polls that it, we could be looking at a Fianna fail coalition after the general election?
3: No I don't think so at all. I think that it's very clear from the doors that people want Fianna Gael out of government. Uh, they've been out of touch and have taken a very hands-off commentary sort of role as ministers. Uh, we Want ministers leading our country or provide leadership. And the sort of leadership that's required is a lot less glamorous and a lot more hands on than Fine Gael were prepared to do. So, as I said, we will be trying to put together some sort of government uh, with like minded people. The Sinn Féin aspect, it's not about personality, it's about um, policy. And, you know, if you're looking to spend twice as much as available, it's a bit of a throwback to the mistakes that parties like my own made in the 70s and 80s that cost the country there. You know, in that sense, Fianna Fáil have learned their lessons since 2011 in particular, and we've worked very hard to uh, embrace policies that the people are informing us of. It's designed with them in mind, and ones that can deliver in terms of the money that's available. The Sinn Féin Manifesto is not of that ilk, uh, and really, um, they're not a realistic, you know, policy partner option.
0: I can hear... Hundreds of our listeners screaming at their phones, going. Mm. The governments of the seventies and eighties included your father. Is, sure. there, is there
3: any relevance in that? Well, you can interview dad about that. Uh, I mean, the point uh, taken. He, he, he's not my keeper, but I mean, uh, if 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 anybody thinks um, that I'll um, defend policies of the past that I happen to disagree with, they're wrong. I mean, when I look back and I see the mistakes made by all parties in government and none. I mean, of course there were positives, but look, let's look at the failings. There were plenty. Um, I'm not bound to uh, support uh, or repeat the mistakes of the past, but it's perfectly reasonable to expect me to learn from them. And I think, I, I, and I think Fianna Fáil, uh, under Michael Martin's leadership, and the new team that speaks for his front bench, uh, we
0: have in terms of the ex- next few days, what will success look like after the election for Mark McSherry, what do you?
3: Well, I mean, in the first instance, I'm, I'm trying to focus that uh, w- with myself and um, Shane Ellis and Eamon Scanlon and maximizing our own return. Um, you know, There are no votes cast yet, there are no safe seats, uh, despite what bookies... I mean, I often say about bookies, they tend to have a good inkling on sport, uh, a good inkling on, on horse racing, but I'm afraid they don't know politics uh, in terms of the Paddy Powers or whatever, with no disrespect to them. But politics is a different... This is about the people. I'm very focused on trying to hold my own seat, maximising our vote with colleagues Shane Ellis and Naaman Scanlon, uh, and see where the chips fall. Naturally, I hope I make it. But I'm hopeful, um, naturally nervous... Uh, naturally fearful uh, and very focused on uh, continuing to get my message out there over the next couple of days.
0: Listen, well, the very best luck to you on Saturday.
3: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, briefly.
0: Now, another one of the candidates that is standing in the general election this Saturday is Bernie O'Hara. And Bernie O'Hara is a literal woman originally from Glenfarre and now living in Drummere, and she ran as an independent candidate in the 2016 election gathering over 1200 first preference votes. Bernie, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you very much, Bernie.
0: Now, you weren't part of the original um conversation we had last week with each of the candidates because just between emails fell through the cracks. But here we are now, and yeah. we're going to have a quick chat. And thanks
4: very much for having me in and Brittany. I do appreciate that. No problem at all. Yeah. I
0: suppose the, the idea of having the candidates on was to give every single candidate a platform, mm. regardless of the size of their machine, or regardless of the size of their, um, I suppose, their, their grouping or, or whatever, that people would get an opportunity to hear the options. Our listeners would get the opportunity to hear the options that are in front of them at the ballot box on Saturday. So thank you very much for taking the thanks time very to come much, down and have a chat with us. In terms of your own background, tell us a bit about who you are and how you've got to this point.
4: Well, my background is business. Um, I grew up in business. My father had a business, so I suppose business was in my blood. I worked in business all my life. I have ran my own business. I ran a business here on Carrick and Shannon, an online marketing business. And um, I went on, you know, once the whole um, internet thing got really going, I went off and I started to do the courses on int- um, SEO and, you know, how to get my own website out there which resulted in us getting customers from all over the world. we got customers from Canada, Australia, Saudi Arabia, everywhere. Most of what we sold left Ireland and went abroad. So I would be a great promoter of online business. I believe it, is, um, it certainly helps a lot of business. We do need the business on the ground, but I do really believe that there is a way where businesses could sell their stuff abroad and be able to make an extra income from that. But um, I have a master's in business, and I... Um, I have awards for innovation, basically finding solutions to problems and new ways to do things. And I do some consultancy work for um, a lot of, you know, companies that are out there, mainly people that are in trouble or that their business is kind of starting to hit a rock, you know. And, um, so that's basically it, what I do. I suppose I, I'm an editor and publisher of the Medjugorje Messenger as well. It's a monthly magazine brings news from Medjugorje. I do that. It's not my full-time work, but I do that. And um, so that's kind of, you know, I'm, I would also be involved, in you know, because people know my skills, then I would help out a lot of people, say, you know, if people need a medical card or people were trying to get something that they were entitled to, I would make representation with them on lots of occasions. But that has got very difficult because now with the whole thing around data protection, they just won't talk to you in these agencies. Yeah, they won't talk to third-party so people. Unless you're an elected representative, you just can't, you can't sort of represent people anymore.
0: How has this campaign, 20 to 20 campaign, been different to the one... Four years ago, where well, you did particularly well for an independent first time out of the case. Yeah, the,
4: the, um, in 2016, I did stand and I didn't canvass. I, I wasn't in a position to canvass at that particular time. A lot of people had asked me to stand, and uh, it just turned out I was just after been having an op- had an operation, so I wasn't able to canvass. And therefore, I was kind of blown away with the fact that I got such a high vote. I actually survived longer than sitting county councillor, you know. So this time. You know, um, I'm full of my health and I'm out canvassing every day. I won't be able to get everywhere. And I suppose, unfortunately, maybe I'm, I am talk too much, I suppose, and I spend too long at houses and talking to people. So it's even curtailing, even further, you know, how far I can get. And I'm trying to get everywhere myself. You know, people will canvass for me, but I say I'd like to be where the canvas is going on. I'd like to meet people and give them an opportunity to see who is this one, like, you know, or what's she about, like, you know. Well,
0: what are you about? What are the main issues? Because as an independent, people won't be. Maybe may be necessarily familiar straight off the bat with with the policies that you're supporting. So what are the main issues that you're hoping to work on if and when you get elected?
4: Well, there's lot of stuff. Rural Ireland is, you know, for me, I think it's just been let die. There's nothing actually been done to try and, you know, we have, like, I mean, people might say about the deforestation the, the That affects everybody because it removes the people off the land. When the people are gone off the land, then the population starts to dwindle. You go into some of the towns in Leitrim, Seventy percent of the businesses are closed, and that has a knock-on effect in the sense that for young people, there's no buzz around anymore. Like the buzz is sort of gone. Like, and they want to go other places to work, and it. We will never attract business in in this country while we have this situation. Businesses, and I know this from dealing with business abroad. Businesses set up shop in areas where there's good hospital services. There's good schools, there's good social activities, they want to come to a place where they're going to be able to recruit staff, the staff are going to want to stay because the facilities are there for them. So by investing in these things, it would be money that would be returned a hundredfold because you would get businesses to these areas. So there's nothing to be gained at all from letting all these services down. We're not saving any money, we're losing money by that. But in terms
0: of that investment, let's just play devil's advocate for a moment. There's a new school in Ballinmore in the last four or five years. There's a new primary school in the Girls' School here in Carrick and Shannon and elsewhere around the county. There's investment in places like Drumshambo. We've talked a lot in the programme about the, the development of Drumshambo, both in terms of tourism, in, term, in terms of the stuff like the Blue Way, and also the Food Hub. We, we throw that out every time. Now, admittedly, it's probably the only example we have in the county, but it's an example of what can be done.
4: Yeah, it's fantastic to have that. I mean, it's great. I wouldn't knock anything. It's actually, the more of it we can get, the better. But then you go around and you look, and you look at Kerry. And, I mean, they do not have anything like what we have here in the line of scenery, in natural resources. Like, they don't have anything like that. But yet, the busloads are going there all the time. And love them or hate them. Um, you have to give a lot of credit for that to the Healy race, and they're independent candidates down there, and they work like donkeys for their for their area, and you know it is it, it is a fact of it. We may not a lot of people think they're mad and they're crazy and they're this, that, and the other thing, but they're definitely getting the work done, and it goes to show the power of an independent.
0: Yeah, but if you stand for ten minutes and carry, someone will start selling you as a tourist attraction. So yeah, I mean, yeah. they have that kind of mentality yeah, down there have, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. In terms of the the lack of investment, how would you see that changing if you were elected?
4: Well, first and foremost, I think we need to invest in in our health service. I think it's one thing that needs to be done because nobody in the right mind would set up in a place where if you go into the hospital, you could spend twenty four hours in a trolley. You know, and there's no you know the, there's no sense of management between. You take for example the social welfare and the, the and the HSE. You could be waiting for an operation. You could be waiting for 12 months, and that could leave you that you couldn't work for those 12 months. And the social welfare could end up paying you in payments between all the associated costs of personal network work. It could cost the social welfare 30,000 a year. And yet you still have to go in and have your surgery. So why not be able to have your surgery the day you need it? The social welfare could save that 30,000. And I mean, the need to divert the money into the place it was needed, because people are sitting at home in agony for 12 months waiting on surgery. It's costing the social welfare, on, on one hand. Yeah, so there's a lack of joined-up thinking yeah. in government. But in terms of what one independent
0: TD can do... How can you influence that to change as an independent TD?
4: You see, a lot of people kind of feel that, um, you know, everything that happens is done right there in the doll, sitting in that circle, you know, that everything is discussed. But it's not. You work with different departments. You know, I mean, you know, if, if... any TD that's elected can do these things. They don't need to be in government. You know, you work with the different departments, you see what's in offer, you put the proposals together. You put together a good proposal for government and, and they couldn't refuse it. There are so, so many. Like, you take the pension thing now, for example, and that's a, that is a huge issue on the door. I talked to one young fellow and he was told that when he was signing his contract, he, um, he was signing until he would be 70 years of age. Like really and truly, you know, it's crazy. But then you look at the you have the you have the pension funds, or the vulture funds, and they're coming into this country. And if you owe a hundred thousand on your house, they could buy that debt for thirty to thirty-five thousand. And what these vulture funds are, for for a large part, is they are pension funds from other countries, and they are bringing. You continue to pay your your mortgage in the normal way, and if you can't pay, you're landed out the door. But the thing about it is, they're investing the profits of these loans into their pension funds, which is actually making their pension funds very strong. So the thing is, why does our state pension fund not buy that debt and hand it over to the, to the county councils to manage it? It would mean if someone was in difficulty paying for the house, they could stretch out the period, reduce the, the payments until they were back in a position to get back onto full payments. And on every 100,000 that that the pension fund would would buy that way there'd be 70,000 profit going into our pension fund here that would mean they wouldn't be pushing out the, the age and they could give proper increases to people that are on pension it's ludicrous like i mean it doesn't make any sense and we've bailed out those banks and yet they're coming and buying that debt at that kind of money and like it's proven to work people can't say oh that wouldn't work they've proven it does work because it's been done all over the world
0: in terms of the last election, you were very high profile within the pro-life campaign. Yeah. Um, what's the current state of play with that? Are you hearing that on the doors this time? Because obviously we've moved a lot down the line in terms of the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. What's the, the feedback you've been getting at the doors about that? Well,
4: a lot of people are not happy with it. They're not happy that with the legislation that was that was introduced. And of course, I'm not happy with that either. And not only that, that legislation gave no choice For for girls that were in crisis pregnancies, it was you know if you're in a crisis pregnancy, you can have an abortion. There was no such thing as we offer you services, we'll help you to keep your child. You know, like I mean, I have spoken to groups where women have been hurt by abortion, where fathers have been hurt by abortion, and it is not a solution to a problem. It it certainly is not. It may seem a contemporary one. I think girls in crisis are victims. They're victims of this push for abortion, and I certainly would believe offer whatever support can be given to a woman. And, you know, to help her to have her child, if she may be, might choose not to keep her child, but she may like to give it up for adoption. But the, them, the, she certainly should have that choice anyway. And that choice should be there for her equally as much as, you know, all the other choices that she presented with.
0: But isn't that what the whole pro-choice campaign was about, was giving girls the choice of whatever option might suit them?
4: But the only thing was, it's the only choice to have. There's nothing in place there for girls. Does well, have a choice to keep the child. Well, it's very difficult for an awful lot of girls. I, I've been around the county, canvas um, canvassing this last week. I've never seen anything. I couldn't believe the poverty that's in this country and the difficulties that some people have. I spoke to a young man, and he was there with his partner and their child, and he showed me the marks on his arms where he had self-harmed. And he was told that um, they could offer him counselling once a month in a group session. Once a month. And he said he was just afraid, and his partner, out for a mind, like, you know, that's not help. And I would be proposing and have it on my literature. Is my, and I think it w- That's a mental health issue. That's not a, a pro-life, pro-choice it's, issue. No, but the only thing about it is it's, it's exactly the same in the sense of what services are being offered. They're not offering services to people in crisis. And when people are in crisis, they're, they're, they can't think in the same way as they would. They just look at the, you know, the option. There's the option at the moment. And the push is towards that. I do honestly believe that um, I would never, ever support abortion. And that's been very clear in case there be any doubt anywhere. I would never support abortion. I support support life from conception to natural death. But I also support everything in between, that every child has a right to an education, every every child and family have a right to a home, and everyone has a right to proper, to proper care in hospitals or in their home, maybe when they need it later in life.
0: Given the result of the referendum on the 8th, and it was fairly emphatic in the end... Would you be worried that making that stance would hurt you when it comes to the ballot box with people who don't agree with you?
4: Well, there's two things there. First and foremost, the people voted for removal of the 8th. They didn't, they didn't vote for that legislation. That's very true. Yep. And a lot of people that did vote for the removal of the 8th are not happy at all with that legislation. If they got to vote on that legislation, they would vote against it. And that is fact, you know, and I know that. thing. But as for people you know, holding it against me, we'll say for making that, that stand, that's what I am. You know, and people know me from that. I'm not going to shy away from anything that I am just to get a vote. Like, I can mean I can re- I, people don't have to agree me, agree with me. I can represent them on a lot of other matters, but I'm not going to try to pretend to be something that I'm not.
0: And absolutely, I, I love that. Can never change that. Yeah. burn your hair. We've run out of time, unfortunately, but uh, thank you so much for coming in and the very, very best of luck to you on Saturday, and I hope you get the result you're looking for in the election.
4: Thank you very much, Brett. And I really wish you the very best of luck here. I really hope you do well. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Now, another candidate that we're going to have a quick chat with today is Councillor Thomas Walsh, a Fine Gael candidate based in Sligo, a Sligo councillor down there. Thomas, welcome to the programme.
5: Hi, uh, Brett. How's it going?
0: Good, good. And yourself? How's the pressure? Not too bad. How's Not the pressure bad. just a couple of days out from Poland?
5: Uh, We're looking forward to uh, Saturday, uh, nearly there, so um, no, been very positive the last three and a half weeks and looking to get um, all done on Saturday. uh, We've run a very high energetic campaign and um,
0: I'm hopeful. Excellent. Well listen, before we start talking about the actual Saturday, the nuts and bolts of the election, tell us a bit about yourself and I suppose how you've ended up on the ticket on Saturday's election.
5: Um, well I suppose um I'm thirty-four. I'm from a small village in East Sligo, um on the Leitron border, Ballygoli village. Um so that's where I'm from and that's where I grew up. Um I, I come from um a family of uh I have two sisters and one brother. Um and um I suppose uh, my background I went to college in Sligo IT, uh, went to um secondary school in Kulapos primary and um national school in Kilross. So um, I've um, been educated locally, um, I studied public health and health promotion, my first-class honours degree, um, where I became a ministerial aide. Um, and uh, uh, following that, a parliamentary assistant in the 31st Dáil. Um, I was elected to Sligo County Council on the 24th of May. As so um, I got the highest first performance uh, you vote, um, in the sligo Cliff area. So um, we took two out of five seats um, here in in May. So um, I suppose um, that's my background uh, in a nutshell. So um, I come from a family very politically light, um, and I have, um, I suppose, how I got into politics was from the community and voluntary side. Um, I spent time on 17 voluntary committees um, across the constituency. So you know.
0: It's obviously a huge community involvement along the, the line there. Talk to us about being part of the doll in terms of your day job as a parliamentary assistant, as a ministerial aide. Uh, how did that go?
5: Yeah, extremely pressurized um, job. Um, yeah, no, it was, um, again, a huge amount of experience. Uh, over that period in the 31st of all. Um I grew up, I suppose, um, and I come from that decade where many of my friends left the country because of the boom and bust days of previous governments um, and uh, economy that uh, was built on some sort of a knife edge or a cliff edge. And so many of my friends had to immigrate for many reasons, including not being able to get a mortgage or not being able to get work or being laid off work or their company was closing or they were leaving or... Um, they couldn't survive. Um, so so um, I suppose what drives me, we don't want to go back to that decade. Um, we don't want people to emigrate again. Um, we need to move away from that. Um, and I suppose uh, that's, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see the northwest of Ireland built and that's what i'm standing on the platform of building the northwest of Ireland. and we need to see a, a rebalancing a balancing from the east coast um a balancing of jobs in terms of infrastructure in terms of finance um and uh, in terms of giving people that same um that that same outlook as we've seen in the east coast because we have seen uh, the economy going much fast in terms of local economy in galways corks and Uh, and Dublin, but we need to see those jobs, uh, Sligo, we need to see a rebalancing, a rebalancing of wealth, a rebalancing of sustainable jobs and a rebalancing of finance
0: Let's talk specifics for a moment specifically what are we talking about trying to bring to the northwest of Ireland
5: if if you were elected
0: what would you like to, what would you be campaigning, the resources the first thing I'd like to
5: see is we need to build more housing and they need to be affordable Um, we need to see we, we people have a right to own their first home um, and we should do everything to ensure that happens. But they have to be at the same time. The other side of the coin is that they have to be affordable. So we need to build affordable homes um, and we need to dev- devise schemes that allow that and that are friendly. We need to see developers back in the market uh, and that will have a knock on in terms of supporting retail, in, in terms of supporting infrastructure, in terms of footfall in our urban centres. Um, And in terms of priority, that's the first priority. We need to see more housing in Sligo and Leitrim uh, in terms of uh, cluster cluster housing, but also one-off housing. And people in Leitrim should be allowed to build on their own land in terms of one-off housing, uh, which is an issue down here at the moment.
0: Now, obviously, all that's great in theory. I don't think anyone's gonna disagree who's listening to this, but in terms of specific programs, what can you do to help alleviate that situation?
5: Well, I was asked this question actually earlier um, and it's very clear. I suppose if you had 158... chuck the dollar in dollar and um, you'd have a, a different policy 158 different views 100 dif- 158 different opinions 158 different policy platforms and that's why we need to see a party uh, that is strong on the economy that has been strong on brexit uh, and that is going to take our economy forward we've seen in 2019 we recorded a 1.9 billion surplus in the exchequer our economy is starting to grow we spent 5 years coming out of a recession um, and we have to ensure that that job continues and, and we stay on that forward path
0: how has the reaction been on the doors to you
5: very positive uh, i'm one of the youngest if not the youngest of the 19 candidates in this constituency it's one of the biggest geographical constituencies in the country Sligo, Litron, north west now in this area um, and south donegal i've been involved in many many elections um, local referenda and um, presidential elections and general elections in the past and i suppose uh, this election people want new people there's a buzzword on the doors and that buzzword has changed and we need to see new people New yeah, people but, with a louder voice, new people with an energy, and, w- and we need to see new people elected to the thirty-third doll. We have four seats, um, and certainly uh, the question you asked about the reaction on the doors. The reaction has been very positive. I'm come from a community and voluntary background, and people want to see uh, people want to see a new new uh, person elected as doll here that uh, that represents them, that listens actively to them. Uh, and that portrays their views.
0: Now, but Thomas, you've mentioned new people, but surely a vote for Fine Gael is vote for continuity for the same people. Might the, the, the faces might change, but it's the same party that people are voting for.
5: Well, a vote for Fine Gael uh, is, is a vote for stable hands on our economy. Our economy is now back growing. People are back to work the highest uh More people working in Sligo than ever before in its history. For example, and a good example of this is the roads announcement for 2020 that was announced three weeks ago here in Sligo and Leitrim. The highest ever roads investment in our county's history and that's the result of our economy that's the result of of safe handling of our economy Uh, and I I referred earlier to many of my friends who left the country and immigrated I don't want to go back to that I don't want to see that again and we have to ensure that we have a sustainable economy but an economy for all Uh, and the word all is important to this constituency. We need to see that rebalancing uh, from the East Coast. A rebalancing of wealth, a rebalancing of jobs, a rebalancing of of funding, uh, and a rebalancing of policy. And no matter how we do that, that's the number one goal. We have to see what Dublin is seeing in terms of jobs coming in, in terms of uh, multinationals. And we have a product here in the Northwest, a product, uh, we have a product of tourism. And, and nowhere else in the country has any anything like what we have here. We have to develop that. For example, the two greenway projects uh, from Sligo Greenway from Sligo to bilahi or the SLNCR, uh, which I, I I'm involved in, and spent a lot of uh, time on over the last number of years. Um, and I'm it's welcome that uh, as part of the national greenway strategy, we have feasibility money just announced a number of weeks ago for uh, feasibility with the local authorities to, um, I suppose, sound out. Uh, the costing of of these greenways. And we have two potential greenways in, in sligo leitrim in this constituency. As I said, the Sligo-Tulahi one and the whole NCR railway line, which will go through Kaloony, Baligali, Balintour, Drummerhair, uh, and on to Enniskillen, And it, that's what we should be focused on. That's what we need to see. We need to develop our product. And the product is tourism. Uh, uh, and anyone that comes to Sligo or comes to Leitrim, or comes to, to North Ruscon, they see something... Uh, that they haven't seen before. We have the beaches. We have the the, the national surfing. Uh, we need to see the development of our national surf centre in Hill, Likewise in Killiany, we need to see the further development phase one is almost complete of our national mountain bike centre. So that's the product we have. We need to sell that product. Uh, we need to market that product. Uh, and we need to be positive about it. Let's talk up our constituency. Let's talk up the northwest. And let's be positive about
0: it. On a personal note, this election, your former member of staff for John Perry, one of your other candidates in the election, how how strange has that been now, actually competing against him for a seat?
5: Not a bit, not not a bit. Uh, I play football, and uh, when you play football, you you play against a team, or you play in a league. Uh, I played soccer and Gaelic, and I played many other sports. And I suppose uh, when you enter a competition, because that's what this is, this is a competition, um, and there's four winners, and there's four seats in this constituency. There's 19 candidates, um, and I'm very focused on my own com- campaign. It's been a high-energy campaign. Uh, it's been completely different in terms of anyone else's campaign in the constituency. Um, it's a youthful b- vibrancy to it. And I wish John well um, in his campaign, and I wish John well on Saturday, but uh, my focus is on my own campaign.
0: Okay, well, listen, Thomas, thank you very much for joining us uh, today. Uh, the very best of luck to you on your efforts to get elected on Saturday. Councillor Thomas Walsh, obviously Sligo County Councillor, running for Fine Gael on Saturday. Thanks very much for chatting to me.
5: Thank you very much, Prefney, and uh, I'd like to thank your listeners, um, and hopefully we have a successful outcome on Saturday, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you again.
0: Now, he might be last alphabetically on the ballot paper, but he'll be looking for your number one on Saturday. Sean Wynne, welcome to the programme. Thanks very much, Prefney. Now, you're an independent candidate. You're from Shambo. Tell us a bit more about who Sean Wynne is.
6: Well... I'm thirty over thirty years involved in community activities in the area. From I started out when Father Tynan arrived in Trumshambo as a curate, and we got involved in the Arigna closure of the mines in the early well late eighties early nineties, and from that I ended up in a campaign in regards to uh, forestry and the unplanned forestry and having. Uh, no directives, only guidelines, and from that it ended up to the fracking issue that took place in the early 90s and has continued on for a long period of time. I then became involved in the issue of one-off houses and the, you know, the problems within Leitrim as it's well documented. But another side of me would be involved in getting a community enterprise centre going. In Drumshambo, of which I'm the secretary, and there's a number of people, there's community workspace available, and we have some training programs and units to rent. So that's my advertisement done. And then there's involved in Lough Allen conservation and about the development of Lough Allen, which I was involved with campaigning to have it reopened, which a long time ago now, it would be 1996, Lough Allen reopened to the Shannon. System, so it, it it was cut off by a, a blockage on the system. So the uh, part of the Lacanian Canal was reopened. So all of these things over the years led, that eventually, uh, in this particular occasion, to say all these issues were mounting, and I believe this leads from and the usual phrase is at a crossroads that the planning issue has not been resolved regardless of what has been said and done. And as you know, I ran in the local elections in the two electoral areas to highlight this, but as soon as the election is over and you get some traction in the local media, but again, people go back to their old ways and there's no, it has to be resolved because the EPA itself says that, for instance, the whole thing around uh, sewage is that human waste... Accounts for five percent of the problem. Yes, when you go to apply to Leitrim County Council, it's ninety-five percent of the problem. And to just put it in context, even if a couple got planner permission, there would be the border Mona system, which would be uh, approximately including that around sixty thousand. Whereas if you went up the, the road, say in Lamford, you'd be twelve and a half thousand, which is still a substantial amount, but. I mean, it's prohibitive, and if we haven't got houses being built and families moving to settle in this county, then inevitably it will become a place for first opportunity for foreign investment companies to buy up land, come in, plant it, walk away from it, and leave schools declining in numbers, uh, local post offices, and I'm sure... You know, previous guests have outlined all of that.
0: In terms of... Let's talk about the local election for a moment because you mentioned you ran in two different con- areas, electoral areas. Yeah. W- why do that?
6: Well, what we wanted to do was to highlight the whole issue of the, one, the forestry, and secondly, the one-off houses. So it, some people said you were dividing your resources, but as an independent, you could... The fact that Dungshambu sure. itself was split from the swimming pool as you enter Jumshambo, that's in the Carrick area. So, more or less, one third was in the Carrick area and two thirds was in the Banlamour area. So, that in itself, I think it's a bad idea. You know, say, North Roscommon is now part of this constituency or South Donegal. And Cormac Sullivan and myself also fought a long campaign over the division of the county a number of years ago as well. So, Dividing the county was a bad idea, and the Boundary Commission is supposed to be, they used to say independent, but really it's not really, so they just carve up to get the number of seats to justify, you know, a three-seater or a four-seater, and in this case, they had to come, you know, before it was West Cavan, and now West Cavan has gone back in with Cavan Monaghan, and they took the North West Common section.
0: So, would you campaign to have that resolved much as you did for Leitrim back in the well, day?
6: I believe this, no doubt, because if you were canvassing in Curtober or anywhere along the Inn 4 uh, to Boyle, the people are confused as to, there's people, say, from Woodbrook that would be asking, I'm not sure whether I vote for the Ruscoman candidate, in other words part, still part of the Roscommon constituency they haven't realised that they're part of the Sligo elite so now in fairness there's a fair few posters along the way but they might have thought they have just made wrong decisions and putting them in the wrong place
0: but in terms of, of the, that I it might even work out in Boyle's favour now because according to the bookies, Frank Feehan is potentially in, in the shake up for a seat so like Boyle could end up having representation both from a Ruscomma identity point of view with the Ruscomma constituency and then also with Frank Feehan potentially in in the race.
6: Well, there's no doubt about it. There's, I mean, some people have said to me, you know, with all the candidates running in the field, that, you know, on a bad day, Leitrim might end up with uh, no TD. But I, I, my argument is, if you have four people that will go up and fight, ...for the interest of the constituency... ...it's important to have the right people... ...as opposed to their location... ...because the more you go through this campaign... ...regardless of the re- result... ...you begin to realise... ...and uh, you know, I hope your listeners take this on board... ...is that an awful lot of politics... ...is about the self... ...about representation of your interest... ...and most of the candidates... ...is addressing the individual interests of the area as opposed to the overarching... Like, say there's a report out there, a border regional report, that said this constituency has the lowest spend from the government of any constituency in the country. So that tells you a lot that what is our, rep- our representatives doing and get why we have this lowest spend in a most deprived area... So they're more concerned about getting Mary her hip replacement or anita, which are all part, part which I question eh, as representation, that people in their right, if there was a proper medical system, shouldn't have to be going to their TD. It's a disgrace to get representation made to see can they get them into a hospital. I think it's third-world type politics, but that seems to go down well on the doorstep, and people vote for... The perception of the person that they'll get is get you in for your hip replacement or whatever as opposed to asking why they have failed to resolve the issue of the septic tank and like central government policy which effectively is not just leon county council it's central government policy and then the tax incentives for outside with low-interest loans, because they're coming in as corporate bodies with interest at 1% or maybe one5 whereas Joe down the road tries to go into the bank to borrow some money to, to keep that land from being planted, and they're pay, paying at minimum 5 or 6% plus massive guarantees. The, have, the banks won't deal with them without giving substantial guarantees, whereas if you into borrow for forestry, there's no issue.
0: Why should someone vote for Sean Wynne on Saturday?
6: Well, one, because he has a track record that goes back 30 years and anyone that checks out will find that I'm consistent, that I hold positions on issues and retain them positions. If you wanted to lay, you know, name them off, would have been the forestry since the 90s. I haven't changed my position. That a farmer who wants to sell or dispose of his land has every right, and the infringement of rights of people in that way, we have to be careful. But that there's a land-use policy, a landscape which is based on sustainable forestry, which is in Europe, which has far higher forestry rates, but to create local jobs. What am I talking about? I'm talking about oakland, a beach, uh, ash, woods, mixed with... intermixed with... Uh, silky spruce and other trees that can be cut out and harvested not like monoculture where you have the silk spruce and you harvest them in just one big slice so you end up with devastation as opposed to selecting trees that's mature enough to cut. Maybe a longer uh, number of years for maturity because hardwoods would take in the, up to almost 100 years. So for the cash return that's needed, these cash crops, uh, like the sick spruce, grow four times faster in Leitrim than in anywhere else in Europe. So that's why, you know, while the land may not be great for agriculture, they see it as fantastic land for forestry.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things. You also, have you attached to the pro-life movement as well?
6: Yes, I have been, I've been part of Leitrim CARES, and uh, would have been involved in the no campaign... and would have been very hardline... in relation to the whole issue of the retention of the uh, Eighth Amendment... because on the grounds really... because the D case, a a major case that was taken... by a lady to the European courts... uh, regarding her rights to obtain an abortion in Ireland... The Irish government went into the European uh, courts and defended the Eighth Amendment, and the European Court ruled that her, in, their rights was not being infringed. But sadly, when it came to the referendum, and I'll deal how it evolved into a referendum, the referendum commission failed to put that literature, that in its literature, and what's even more. Uh, alarming is that they never released the minutes of the meeting because people tried to obtain, which should be it's chaired by a judge uh, a retired judge, that material should be available to say, well if it wasn't included, why wasn't it included and a justification but that didn't happen so afterwards people would say, well it was a substantial result, uh, you know sixty six thirty three. but I would put the case that uh, after the 83, in other words, after the introduction of the Eighth Amendment in 1983, Mary robertson, William Benchy and John Beaumont had a discussion, which is up on YouTube to this day. So anyone uh, Googled it or wanted to check it out. But the interesting point I want to get to is that Mary Robinson at that time said very clearly that with a one-third she had a moral right to pursue the interest that she had. So I would say today, you know, that many years afterwards, that I um, fundamentally believe that we, and if I had enough votes and enough people, that we would reverse the decision taken.
0: Okay. Well, we've run out of time. We've gone over by a couple of minutes. So, Sean, um, thank you very much for coming in. To and thanks the, very much, Bert. In terms of the, the election on Saturday, I wish you the very best of luck. And hopefully you get a result that you're happy with Thanks. at the end of it. And uh, thank you for coming and taking the time to talk to us.
6: Thanks very much, perfectly Pleasure.
0: And that, folks, is all we have time for today. And that, folks, is it for our entire election coverage. I will reissue my reminder to get out and vote on Saturday, the 8th of February. And it's vitally important that, as a nation, we exercise our right to vote and to have our say in terms of how the country is run thank you very much i will be back later today with the what's on guide and of course that means there will be no show on saturday as this show has gone out a couple of days earlier because of the election moratorium i will talk to you later today